customary or has become customary that Ben takes a minute before the message to, to pray for a local pastor in that congregation. And I just thought this morning would be a good time to pray for Ben and his family and for this congregation. So let's do that right now. Father, this morning, uh, we just thank you for the gift of Ben and Christy and Evan and Luke and Daniel. Uh, Father, what they mean to this fellowship, what you've given us in them, uh, the part of the body they are. Um, and Father, how they help us to grow in you. Father, I pray for their time away. Uh, it'd be sweet together as family, but also in you, Father. Um, I pray that the medical reports are good, but according to your will, Father, uh, for what you've purposed in them. I pray, Father, that it's a time of refreshing uh, in your word and in walking with you and loving you. Uh, so, Father, we uh, give them to you for a couple of weeks and pray that they would come back to us um, Father just a wonderful instrument to be used by you for your glory in Jesus name we pray amen well I think I'm going to stand up here I don't know if I can sit here um Quiet. Last week's message was, where is John? Amazingly enough, I think we've been there, what, three years or so? Um, but we were in chapter 12, and we're going to step outside of John for the next couple of weeks. Uh, ben and Christy will be gone for a couple of weeks, and I'll be filling in. Uh, but I wanted to start there. Uh, God really put a burden on me some time back, probably a few months ago, and it's kind of a recurring theme for me, um, especially, I think, in returning from Kazakhstan and back into this culture. Um, God had stripped away so many things being outside, so many things that I think I had been kind of dependent upon, that when I came back, I didn't want to, again, place my dependence on those things. I wanted to be fully and completely satisfied with Christ. And so that's just been kind of this reoccurring theme for me. It's, there's just this check every now and then that God puts in, and he says, are you satisfied with my son? And six months ago, uh, just this kind of reoccurrence of that, and I just started digging. And I have to admit to you, I have to confess, for some reason, I don't know why, it was especially troubling. It was hard. And I think it was in light of Scripture when we've been walking through and seeing this sovereign God and this need for us to be holy. And so there were lots of questions, good stuff, and digging in. And, you know, with that came, on my part, some excuses, <laughs> you know, some things in me that would rise up and I'd say, well, you know, I'm I'm Okay. And boy, just as I would think it, I would think, oh, I'm not okay. So in last week's sermon, 
as Ben was talking to us. And I'll kind of read through John 12, I guess back up to 37 through 40. And we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. I asked the guys to keep the lights up because we're going to be going through quite a bit. But um, um, I can just read this and then we're going to point back to, a, to another place. Uh, but John twelve thirty seven. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. If you're hearing that, at least from my perspective, there's questions. There's questions about the sovereignty of God and um, how extreme that is. What is it? If he's hardening some, and some are hearing, the first question that kind of came to my mind, and some of these were for myself, and some of them were, I think, for this body. I'm thinking about what is our what is our response when I read this and when I see this. I may think. Or some may think, am I hardened or am I hearing? Am I dead or have I been quickened? Am I a vessel of wrath or am I a vessel of mercy? What am I? Am I saved or am I just being sincere? You know, as Ben took his back and showed us the plagues upon Egypt, and he was saying God's people were being made distinctive. He was setting them apart so people would know that they were his people. Am I distinctive? What's my response to freedom in Christ? Is it to look like the world and then play this little Jesus trump card? You know, go out there and I look just like the world and do everything the world does, but I can say I have Jesus. Is that me? Am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? How do I respond to the word of God? Where is a rock? Or where can I kneel? Remember Ben saying that last week? To make you think, how do I respond to the word of God? Man, am I ready to throw a rock? Do I stand in defiance to the word of God? Do I say to God, prove yourself to me? Or am I humiliated? And do I become a humble servant? And do I fall at the feet of Christ? What characterizes my walk? Am I 
continually trying to clothe my nakedness? Or am I walking with God in the cool of the day? See the contrast? Am I separated from God by my sin? Or am I enjoying fellowship with Him? Am I justified? Am I righteous? Can I be sure? What does that look like? Scott and I had a conversation earlier this week talking about that. What does it look like? You hear that question a lot now. It's kind of a popular question. When we're discussing something, we say, what does that look like? And I think it's a good question in one respect. You know, we want to see, you know, give me some more details. What's that saying? Give me some detail to that. Tell me what that is. Sometimes we leave it at what does it look like. We don't really want to know what it is. We want to kind of know what it looks like. Because we have these layers where we want to look like something rather than be it. Where can I find confidence in my salvation? Is my hope sure? In other words, do I have faith? Isn't faith being sure of what we hope for? Am I sure of what I hope for? Some of you may have seen this new TV game show. It's called Deal or No Deal. Corny as all get out. A lot of acting goes on. A lot of things go on, go on. But the basic premise to the show is we've got all these cases and in one of these cases, in some cases more, have a million dollars. And you've got to pick the case. And last couple of weeks, yes, I've watched it twice. <laughs> That's all I'm going to admit to. A couple of contestants, both of them, at some point along the way, after some cases were gone, said, I have faith that that million dollars is in this case. It's there. And as it's whittling down and coming down to you, when they get down to there's a single chance that there's a million in that case, and then there's this chance that there's maybe a dollar, $100 or $500 in the case, do they have faith? None of them went to the end. None of them went to the last case. That's not abiding faith. That's not perseverance. And I think as we look through the Word, we need to understand what faith is. So we consider, when we consider hardened versus hearing, vessel of wrath versus vessel of mercy, dead versus quickened, Sincere versus saved. It's probably, as we walk through the Word, a good thing to consider 
What do I look like? But better yet, who am I? Our text this morning is going to be Romans chapter 10. Let's pray before we dig in. Father, this morning, um, my prayer is that you have your way with me, you have your way with this body. And as we walk through your word, um, Father, that we would experience the word that's living and active. able to separate, cut through all the things we look like to who we are, Father. Father, I pray that your word this morning would be a word of revelation. Father, if there's some here who are hardened, Father, we would know your grace and hear. If some are dead, they would be quickened to be alive in Christ. Father, help us in your word today to see who we are and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Paul writing in Rome, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved for bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Who's Paul talking about here when he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We have to jump back into Romans chapter 9 to see who he's talking about here. 10 has just followed 9. Remember, we were in chapter 9 last week. That's where uh, Ben was showing us uh, God's 
purpose in vessels of wrath and in vessels of mercy. Just before that, in Romans 9, 1, it says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That quote comes from Genesis twenty-one twelve. if you want to make a note there. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So Paul's referring back to who? The Israelites. And we can see uh, kind of in the text here um, some observations, what Paul sees in them. First, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, are in sin. And they're unbelieving. They're in need of salvation. Because his desire is that they be saved. He also says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. They've sought to establish their own righteousness. Because they haven't submitted to God's righteousness. Because they haven't submitted to Christ. Christ is the end of the law to everyone who is believing. So what is the righteousness of God? How do men stand justified before God? First, let's take a look here at what it says. It's not. It's not a zealousness for God in and of itself. It's not a zealousness. Who could Paul be referring to here? And we think of the Israelites and those with great zeal, especially according to the law. Paul had some, some good insight. Um, I struggled in, in, in preparing for this morning. Uh, yesterday um, and through the week, and really over a couple of weeks of preparation, it was, let's say it was this big, and then it got to be this big, and this big, and I had to whittle down, and then it got to be this big. And um, I struggled with Scripture, speaking so much of the law in Christ. What do the people at Crosspoint need to hear. What I like to do is I want to walk through some scripture, and I want you to kind of hang with me. Okay, it's, and that's why the lights are up. We're going to walk through some scripture and come back and take a look at this. Okay, let's start out in Philippians chapter three. And I wish I had gotten you page numbers, but I failed to do that. Uh, Philippians chapter three. We'll be looking at verses three through eleven. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Again, this is Paul speaking. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So this zeal for God that Paul's talking about here is the Pharisaical zeal. These were guys who, they set themselves apart from just your normal Israelite. See, most of the Israelites, they thought, hey, we have the law, we have the law, so therefore we're God's. We're God's children because we have the law, we possess it. And the Pharisees, their intent was, hey, we're going to take the law and we're going to do it. And because we do it, we're even better than you. The problem is this law that the Pharisees were so zealous about was a law of their own. And it was their own righteousness they were seeking to build. And in error, they didn't even take the whole law. They took a part of it. And they even added to it a little bit. Made it something they could do. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Don't think it was just the Pharisees. They try to make something look like I'm following God. Something I can do. Because there's a problem with our own righteousness. Let's go back and look at the law. I'm going to... Well, you may take some notes for a shepherd guide. I've... Uh, I've got a little handout I'm going to give you as a shepherd's guide. It's going to basically be going back over some of those questions. Um, so you might want to take some notes because I want to maybe add some things to that. This was kind of just a um, last-minute attempt to give you something to take home. But take a note here to go back and read Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, through chapter 9. Maybe through verse 8 of chapter 9. But when you go back and you look, this is Moses delivering these commandments to the people of God. And he's kind of outlining what this law is about and for in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. We're not going to read the whole thing. I thought about it. I thought about taking us through the whole thing. It's really good reading. Please take notes to go through that. But when you work through chapter 6 of Deuteronomy and you get down to verse 24 and 25, this is what it says. Okay, Moses just said, I'm going to give you this commandment. It's from God. It's for his people. And in verse 24, he says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And listen, verse 25, And it will be righteousness for us 
Is that where verse 25 ends? It ends there for the Pharisees, I think. It ends there for the Israelites, at least in practice, because it says after that, if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, and it will be righteousness for us. This will justify us before God if we're careful to do all this commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 5. When it's been explained to the Israelites they're going to possess this land. It's not their land, but they're going to go in and possess it. There's a message to them. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So what is this word that the Lord swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why is it Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If you've been following the last few weeks, and you see who the offspring are, you would recognize who that is. What was the promise to Abraham? Genesis 17, chapter, uh, verse 5. Do you remember? God told him that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. A multitude of nations. See, the people of Israel, their claim to righteousness is that they were just offspring of Abraham, of the flesh. That's why some of those genealogies were important to them. I can show you where I came from. I'm right from the line of Abraham. I'm a child of God, and I stand righteous. Let's move to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to walk through some verses and then go back to Romans 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, part of that law was they had to present sacrifices. For their sin. For the law, the law to them was a reminder of their sin. Romans 3. Verses 19 through 28. Now we know 
that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified. No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why can't we be justified because of the knowledge of sin? We're going to keep reading and we're going to see what the law was about. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation, y'all remember what that means, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by... For we hold that one is justified by faith apart... From works of the law. Galatians 3. What is faith as opposed to works of the law? Paul writing to the Galatians. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's not the flesh. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, that promise came before the law. God's intention was his righteousness would justify man, not the law. Continuing, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. For the law to justify people, people would have to be able to follow the whole law. But even if they did that, righteousness is by faith. Christ 
redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. What's an intermediary? Kind of the person in the middle, kind of the person that goes between. The deliverer, maybe. Why does he say now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. It's God himself. In Christ. Righteousness is of God, not of the law. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Genesis 17, 5 said, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. It's by the promise of God. Galatians 2. Trust me, it's everywhere. We're going to hit a few. Um, Actually, probably your assignment, shepherds, for this week is to read the whole Bible and see the righteousness of God. It's a book of Revelation, guys. It shows us who we are, and it shows us who He is. Galatians 2, verse 15. This is kind of on the heels of Peter 
being confronted by Paul. Because Peter had been kind of hanging with the Gentiles some until some of these Jews came around and Peter said, hey, I better not hang so close. And in doing so, he kind of led some astray. And Paul confronted him. And just following that, Paul writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, so we also have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I revealed what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Philippians 1. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's jump back over to Romans 10. I know we spent a lot of time in other places. But we need to know what God has to say about it. What is the righteousness of God? What is it not? It's not a zealousness for God. It's not following the law so strictly that somehow we can be righteous before God. It's not established by man. It's established by God. And it's not the law. The righteousness of God is not the law. What is it? Well, if it's the righteousness of God, it's of God, right? How does he accomplish that? He's promised it. How does he accomplish it? Through faith in Christ. A confessing and believing faith in Christ. Why do we need to know about the law? We have Christ, right? We've been given Christ. Do we just confess him? Do we just have Christ like 
they had the law? For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and... Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we just have Christ as they had the law? Or do we have a confessing and believing faith? We're going to pick up there next week. We're going to talk about faith, what it is. There's lots of um, lies about faith. What it is, what it looks like. Um, we need to know what the Word of God says a believing and confessing kind of faith is. Because that's the kind of faith that provides our justification. It's faith in Christ. It's of God. It's not of man. So for us, it has to be given, credited, imputed. I'm going to have some shepherd's guides up here for you to take home. And in light of scripture, I'm, 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 I'm praying that in preparation for next week, you're going to look at some of these questions. Is my calling and election sure? Am I working out salvation with fear and trembling? Am I in Christ? What's my response to freedom in Christ? Do I look like the world? Act like the world? Try to be as close to the world as I can? And then play my trump card? Jesus will save me? Or am I a humble servant? I'm a slave to righteousness. How do I respond to the word of God? Do I stand in defiance or am I humiliated and fall at his feet? What characterizes my walk? Am I clothing my nakedness continually or am I walking in the cool of the day? Do I understand that my sin separates me from God? Or am I enjoying a sweet, sweet fellowship with God? Am I righteous? Can I know if I'm righteous? 
can I find confidence in my salvation? Is my hope sure? Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that the truth of your word would search us out. It would examine us and expose every area of disobedience. Every area of our life that would testify that we don't know Christ. Father, that it would lay us bare. Father, if there are some here who are spiritually dead, I pray your word would quicken them. Father, that they would be a vessel of mercy. Father, I pray that you would examine our heart and see if there's any place where we are relying on the law. It may look different. It may be other things that we count on to say we are yours, but Father, I pray those things would fall away and we'd land squarely at the feet of Christ. And the way we walk and the way we talk and the way we live would testify to that. Would be a witness to that. Father, have your way in us for your glory in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to do something a little different, not just for the sake of being different, but sometimes in uh, kind of doing things in just kind of regular order, you know, it, um, we kind of lose sight sometimes, or we get used to just doing it and going through the motions. I asked Scott if we could just, uh, just as we've taken a look at our worship and say, hey, you know, it doesn't always have to look this way, uh, it needs to be this thing, which is worship. Uh, after our shepherds meeting last uh, weekend, I was just convicted of how often the passing of those plates is just kind of going through the motions. It's in that last song, you know, we just kind of pass it around. We don't think about it as an offering. We can't repay God for what he's done, but this is an area of worship in our lives. Just as the praises we sing and the word we read and the name we glorify this is an offering. And, that, and that's not to put pressure on you to say, if I don't put something in that plate as it passes by today, I'm not worshiping. That's not what it's about. It's that in your heart, you're thinking about the gift of Christ when that plate goes by. It's just, it's, please, don't see it. 
Because I don't want you to put anything in that plate out of compulsion. I just don't want you to go through the motions. I don't want you to miss an opportunity to worship God. That can be done whether something goes in that plate or not.